Hello. Uh, thanks for coming to the talk. So we are going to talk about charity entrepreneurship. Uh, but first, I'm going to take you to a slum at Lucknow. So Lucknow is a city in India, and this picture is fairly representative of the state of affairs. You can tell from it that there are giant health concerns, uh, global poverty concerns. Uh, it really is a place where charitable intervention can make a huge difference. One thing you can't tell from this picture, though, is the sheer size of this slum. Uh, me and a team of SMS vaccine-reminding staff uh, went from building to building trying to find pregnant mothers, and it took hours uh, to cover even a small section of this slum. Uh, but of course, uh, that is just one slum in a, in a much larger city. Uh, Lucknow City has uh, several hundred slums, two to three hundred slums by the record right now. And uh, each of them has kind of a unique set of problems, uh, some commonalities in terms of global health, economic difficulties. Uh, there's a huge volume of good that can be done in a city like Lucknow. But of course, we can zoom out further and look at Uttar Pradesh. Uh, this is a state in India, but it is such a big state that if it was a country, it would be the sixth largest country in the world. It truly is massive. You could have a giant organization spend their entire uh, budgetary and staff and constraints all working in UP and not even make a dent in the massive scale problems that they have, uh, both from poverty and, and other sorts of issues. But of course, we can zoom out even further and look at India, a country with over a billion people, problems to match, and although there are incredible charities working there, there's still a huge need for more organizations working intelligent, systematically, and with evidence. And of course, India is not the only country with problems. And of course, global poverty isn't the only problem. Uh, there's tons of different issues that one can work on, whether it's animal welfare, mental health challenges, economic development, migration. Um, there are a lot of gaps in the world where kind of new and effective organizations could be founded. Why I'm talking about these gaps is because I think that a lot of people are under the impression that there's already a ton of charities out there. Maybe all the best opportunities have been filled by organizations. And that's really not the case. Uh, there really is room for fantastic new charities to be founded and be fantastically high impact. I'm going to talk about why charity entrepreneurship is important, what its kind of importance is to the world and to the EA movement specifically, uh, who charity entrepreneurship might be a good fit for. Uh, it really not, is, is not a good fit for everybody. Some people will be fantastically well-aligned and will do a really good job. Uh, other people won't be a good career fit and shouldn't enter the space. Uh, and finally, how Charity Science, my organization, is aiming to help new charities get founded and started off on the right foot. I'm going to make this argument in more of a cluster thinking perspective than a sequence thinking perspective, which means kind of coming at it from a bunch of different angles and showing that charity entrepreneurship looks very good and very high impact from kind of different perspectives. The first thing that comes to almost everyone's mind when they think about the potential impact of charity entrepreneurship uh, is the sheer size of good that you can do when you found a successful charity. Uh, these are some of the money moved from some of the top GiveWell recommended charities. You can see it's often in the tens of millions. And these are just the numbers from GiveWell itself, as opposed to all the budgetary money that's going towards a charity. Uh, suffice to say that starting, an impact, starting a high-impact charity can redirect kind of millions of dollars in a positive direction. So even if your charity is 1% more effective than the charity that a donor would have given to otherwise, uh, it can have a really massive scale impact just because of the sheer volume of money. Uh, there's also a force multiplication argument about this. Uh, you're not just directing money when you're founding a new charity. You're directing talent. You're directing interest. You're directing passion towards this issue. Uh, there are a lot of people who will work for a high-impact charity but wouldn't uh, ever found one themselves. By creating this opportunity, you're creating an opportunity for high-talent individuals to get invested in that field and to make a difference. Uh, finally, there's hits. So everyone wants their charity to be successful, and 
Charity entrepreneurship is inherently, like normal entrepreneurship, uh, a risky business. Uh, a lot of charities will be started and the impact analysis will come back bad, or the charity won't uh, have a valid way of scaling. Uh, there's a lot of ways to fail, but there's also a lot of ways to have massive success, uh, success that is incomparable to many other jobs. Uh, for example, a uh, minor hit, although it feels funny to call it a minor hit, would be becoming a give recommended charity. Uh, just a small percentage difference between you and the other give recommended charities in terms of being better or even simply giving more options that Givel can recommend to attract donors from different spaces and different interests, passions, uh, can make a huge difference. But that's not even taking into account the, the major hits. Every giant organization and charity that's around today started off as a, a small group, or at least in many cases started off as a small group. The benefits of an EA group uh, being the next group to start uh, the next Oxfam or some other very large-scale charity and shaping the entire uh, area, shaping an entire cause area, uh, is truly massive. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is neglectedness. Uh, charity entrepreneurship isn't a salient career path for a lot of people. Many people will have considered entrepreneurship potentially as a career path, and many, many people will have considered working for a charity. Uh, but founding a charity is, is off the beaten radar, uh, even in EA. So this is kind of the percent of people working in different jobs from the EA survey that was most recently conducted, several thousand people. And an incredibly small number of people have seriously considered founding high-impact charities. And of those who have, almost all of them have been in, in global poverty, you know, new incentives, charity science health, fortify health. Uh, so there's really a truly large opportunity for kind of more people to get involved in this space, more people to work in this space, and eventually start high-impact orgs. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is tractability and track record. Uh, founding a charity is a difficult job. It certainly is, and especially founding a charity with kind of the bar to beat one of the Givel charities or, or become an ace-recommended charity. Um, but it's not impossible. And some of the track record shows this. A lot of the charities we view as strongest or most impactful in the e-movement weren't started by someone with 55 years of experience in the area. They were started by someone who came into it with more of an analytical mindset, more of an EA mindset, someone looking for a cost effectiveness or evidence base. And a lot of the recent charities that have been started and become Givel incubated uh, were coming with this same mindset. Uh, that's a huge competitive advantage to other charities that became effective more due to kind of incidental cost effectiveness as opposed to explicitly seeking it out or trying to uh, maximize it. Uh, no good EA presentation would be complete without uh, an expected value calculation. So what's kind of the numerical worth of charity entrepreneurship? Well, there's a couple different calculations. Uh, Peter Herford's calculation assumes an 85% chance that the charity has zero impact, uh, so fails completely, and assumes a 15% chance of becoming Givel recommended. These numbers were based off Charity Science Health, the charity that we founded after doing kind of a similar round of analytical research to the rounds that we now do for all sorts of charities. Um, he resulted with the average staff member being worth $400,000 of equivalent donations to a high-impact charity. Uh, and that's just the average staff member. That wasn't for co-founders or the founding team in particular. Um, this is an incredibly high-impact thing. This is $400,000 donated. Uh, so even if you earned $400,000, you'd have to donate 100% of it to kind of match this level of impact. Uh, we did an internal model that was a bit more pessimistic, assumed that there was only a certain chance that someone would get to the point where Charity Science Health has got, get Givel incubated, um, and ended up at a, sem a similar figure of $200,000 of kind of expected value of donations. Uh, this sort of impact is, is really, really high, and these, these calculations are quite conservative relative to a lot of the other impact estimates going around the EA movement. Um, there's a whole bunch of other benefits that I'd love to spend a bunch of time on, but I'm going to go through really quickly because we only have so much time. Uh, first one is skill building. 
So entrepreneurship gives you an opportunity to try on a lot of different hats. That's part of why it's hard and intimidating, but it also gives you a chance to build a lot of different skills. If you try to found a charity, and even if you fail, going into the next job, having kind of basic budgeting skills, fundraising skills, management skills, hiring skills, uh, it gives you a huge advantage and will kind of stick with you longer. Uh, similarly, career capital. If someone sees someone took a good attempt at a project, even if it's a failed project, but especially if it's a successful project, uh, that does wonders for your, kind of your CV and, and career capital, capital in general. You can use a successful charity as a stepping stone towards getting into a high-impact position you know, with the WHO or any sort of other organization that would look at that sort of thing. Uh, the next thing is attributable impact. So calculating your impact that you're going to have is really, really difficult. And there's one less step you have to calculate with charity entrepreneurship. If you do, in fact, start a charity that no one else would have founded, that wouldn't have gotten started without your kind of time and energy put into it, uh, what you're mostly looking at is that charity's impact as a whole. Instead of having to calculate both the organization's impact and then your specific impact within the organization. Maybe the organization is great, but your staff impact is very minor. Or maybe uh, your staff impact is big, but the organization sucks. With charity, with charity entrepreneurship, you only have to calculate one of those. Um, Job satisfaction is the next one. As I said, it's really not the perfect fit for everybody, and we'll go a little bit more into who it might be a good fit for and who it might not be. Uh, but for the right personality type, it's incredibly enjoyable. Being able to look at your charity and know that you built it from scratch, being able to work with flexible hours with a bunch of different staff, there's a lot of uh, benefits to it. There's a, a, an unparalleled amount of job diversity, um, but there's also cons. You know, uh, Ambiguity is tough. That's the thing you're going to have to deal with as a charity entrepreneur. Uh, to get to some of the benefits to the EA movement, uh, it allows movement growth. Uh, by expanding the EA movement outside of its kind of traditional sphere, by kind of getting involved in a charity level and hiring people in that field, working with people who say work in vaccinations, uh, you can kind of expand EA in a very concrete way to an audience that's sympathetic or close by. Um, there's also a much clearer case for impact of some of these charities. It's fine to go and tell someone that you're doing a philosophy think tank that will eventually save humanity. Uh, but it sure is nice to also be able to say, we started a vaccine charity that's people think are, that people think is highly cost effective. That sort of concrete case for impact can benefit the whole EA movement in terms of showing that we are, in fact, doing what we say we're doing and having success doing that. Um, the next thing is stability. Organizations tend to outlive movements. The EA movement is a social movement, and it is fragile in many ways. It gets stronger the more organizations that can anchor it and kind of tie it to reality in a long-lasting structure. Uh, and finally, opportunities. Lots of EAs want to work for EA organizations. Lots of EAs want to work for high-impact jobs. And as I mentioned with the force multiply before, by creating this opportunity, you create space for people to grow, develop their capacities, and expand the EA movement. It gives, people, gives a space for people to go once they get involved. Next up, uh, community learning value. Even a failed project can be massively impactful if you get a lot of learning value from it. Uh, one of our early projects didn't work at all, but we were able to publish a giant report explaining why it didn't work, and tens of other organizations were in, in the A movement were able to learn from that mistake and not repeat the same thing. Uh, if your charity does fail and you are able to be transparent about why it failed, learn from it, you can benefit not only the charity entrepreneurship community within EA, but the broader EA movement as a whole, as a lot of these lessons are generalizable. Uh, finally, Sorry, uh, inspiration. Uh, if you can inspire someone to found a charity, that can be massively high impact, and people can see other people doing successful, ambitious projects, and it can lead to precedence. So for instance, we saw New Incentives uh, do a really great job founding the charity, and that gave us confidence to do Charity Science Health. Charity Science Health gave Fortify Health confidence to do that, and now Fortify Health, New Incentives, and Charity Science Health can give other EAs a chance to look at charities that have been successful, and, and it gives them a chance to feel inspired by the possibility. 
the next thing is passive impact. So people will have heard of passive income, and passive impact is a very similar concept. Basically, if you set up a charity to run independently without you and continue to do good in the world, uh, you kind of continue to get some sort of counterfactual responsibility for that impact. Um, the last thing that I'll talk about briefly is just the room for more funding. Uh, room for more funding isn't a huge impact if it's filled by someone who's otherwise going to donate to a fantastic charity. But by creating a new charity, you can leave a lot of room for new donors to get involved and donate to maybe something particular to their interest while still making a really high impact. Uh, so why now? There's a lot of reasons why a founding charity now in particular is maybe a lot better than historically. Hopefully it will continue to be this good in the future. Uh, there's a lot of funder support and funder interest in this sort of thing. Uh, the Givel Incubation Program has been trying to fund programs that might eventually become Givel Top Charities. Animal Charity Evaluators has money for this. Uh, Open Philanthropy is very interested in new charities. And of course, Charity Science, my organization, provides seed funding to new projects starting up. Uh, this is kind of an unparalleled time where funding probably won't be the major bottleneck for a lot of charities being founded uh, if they are founded in kind of an evidence-based way and an evidence-based cause. Uh, there's also mentorship support. You're not the first charity working on this anymore. So you are able to kind of connect to an alumni community. Charities that we've talked to have shared hiring pools and strategies for, for uh, management and all sorts of different things. And the EA community really is starting to build up a kind of network of people you could talk to about issues, whether it's communications or research, and really get an informed perspective of someone who's done something quite similar quite recently. Um, and finally, there's still gaps. That's why I talked about it at the beginning. Uh, it's really, really easy to forget just how big the world is and just how large scale our problems are. Uh, you know, there's a ton of malaria charities, and yet there's still malaria killing hundreds of thousands of people every year. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done, and the EA movement can contribute a lot more to that. Um, specifically, there's even ideas that people would like to see more of. So, Givel has a list of priority programs that has 25 ideas. ACE has a list of charities it would like to see, 17 ideas. Uh, charity Science Entrepreneurship, we want to do a research program that recommends, you know, two to five ideas every single year that would be particularly promising to found, kind of in the uh, give well priority program ballpark or, or even more high impact, something that could compete with AMF. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about who charity entrepreneurship is a good fit for. As I mentioned, it really is not a great fit for everybody, but people are often surprised at what they need going in, what, what would make them a good fit or would not. Uh, so I'll talk about personality, what it helps to have, what you don't really need or what people tend to overvalue, and uh, how you might further test this in case that uh, a 30-minute presentation can't convince you one way or the other to radically change your career. Ooh. Okay, so first up, personality. Uh, this is an example of a fantastic charity entrepreneur. Uh, and I'm not talking about Prince William. I uh, don't really have a, an opinion on whether he'd make a good charity entrepreneur or not. I, I haven't spoken to him personally. Uh, but I have spoken to Rob Mather, uh, and he really embodies what a fantastic charity entrepreneur might look like. Uh, one of the things I want to highlight about him is, is his personality. Personality is so key when it comes to charity entrepreneurship. It's one of the first things we look for in our vetting process, and one of the things that I think determines eventually whether your charity ends up being massively high impact or not. Uh, you need a lot of different things. You need to be resilient. Uh, there's going to be bad days. There's going to be bad weeks. There might even be bad months where you think your charity is low impact, not worth founding, and it's hard to get yourself motivated. And as the founder, you have to motivate not only yourself, your co-founder, your employees, um, you have to be ready to take those shocks and keep moving, on, keep moving through them, uh, even when it's tough. Uh, the next thing is being ambitiously altruistic. So a lot of entrepreneurs love ambition, and it's a very common thing, but it's really easy to be ambitious about the wrong thing. If you're ambitious about how big your charity is, your charity might get really big, but it won't necessarily do any good. 
What you need to be ambitious about is how many lives you save or whatever your end line metric is for, for doing good. That's the thing you have to kind of be laser focused and, and truly ambitious about. Uh, the next thing is results orientated. Uh, numerical quantification, measurement, it's one of the things that makes EAs different from other organizations or other movements. Um, we really want to see the concrete, specific results and, and have data to back it up. Uh, staying kind of focused to this uh, will stop your charity from diverging into 100 other projects that might not be as high impact, and it really can make a difference in, in the long term. Next thing is being open-minded. Uh, you won't have all the skills you need. Nobody does when they first found a charity. You have to be able to update based on the world changing, based on testing out one thing and it not working, based on advice from people in the field, people who have worked in specific areas that you don't have knowledge in. You have to be ready to kind of amalgamate all these different views and come up with a coherent answer and update as new data comes in. Next one, similarly, uh, not afraid to make mistakes. Uh, you will make mistakes. Uh, every charity entrepreneur does and will. And uh, being able to admit these mistakes transparently, learn from these mistakes and update them, uh, can be the difference between your charity eventually succeeding and you continuing to make the same mistake again and again. Uh, next, self-motivated. This might be the most important criteria. You really have no boss, uh, no person whipping you at the end of the day to, to get the work done. You have to really care about the charity and be able to put in the hours, be able to work yourself through the project. One of the easiest kind of litmus tests I have for would you be a good fit for charity entrepreneurship is can you get yourself through a self-directed project? Can you complete an online course without anyone needing you to? Can you start something where only you are report or only you are responsible if it succeeds or fails? That sort of thing is really challenging for a lot of people, and it's really, really challenging to do a charity like this. You will have your co-founder, you will have your mentors, you will even have funders you have to report to, but not at the same level of regularity that any other job will make you. You have to be self-motivated. Uh, next is creative. There will be a blank slate. Uh, you won't necessarily know what the next steps are, and you have to come up with ideas. Uh, how to test one thing, how to test another thing. If you come up with five ideas, five ways to test a given concept, uh, that's the limit of how good you can get, the best of five. If you come up with 30 ideas, uh, you can test them all, you can evaluate them all, and come to the best of 30. It makes a huge difference to your charity's impact. And next, uh, doing it for the right reasons. This is a bit different than being ambitiously altruistic. You really, really have to be focused on, on doing good for the world. If your goals are different, if your goals are divergent and you uh, want to do a charity to look good or to, to impress a partner or something like that, your charity won't end up being high impact. You really have to kind of be laser focused on that, uh, doing it for the right reasons, altruistic mentality. Uh, so there's some things it helps to have. Uh, it's nice to be highly competent, uh, whatever that means, kind of general ability, conscientiousness, IQ, that sort of thing. Uh, the EA community is a huge asset, a bunch of skill sets that you can tap to, a bunch of people who really want to help you start a charity. Um, social skills or research skills, it's really great to have one of those. Uh, your co-founder can kind of balance you out and have the other one. Um, and experience working in a small organization and charity can give you a sense of what it looks like from the inside. Uh, you tend to think that every organization is perfect, and when you get on the inside, you tend to see how held together with glue and tape it really is. Uh, what's less important than people generally think? Uh, well, one is a degree. Uh, a lot of people think that if they want to start a global health charity that's fantastic, they need to get a global health PhD. Unfortunately, it ends up being too unspecific a lot of the time. For my charity, SMS Vaccine Reminders, uh, you might have only read a page or a paragraph in a global health program about this sort of intervention. It's just very, very specific, not to mention the country context. What you need to be able to do is become an expert. It's not necessarily through a degree. It's through reading the studies, reading the research, getting very, very expertised in that very narrow domain uh, that you want to start a charity in. You want to be able to talk to experts and engage with them at the highest possible level, but you won't get there from doing a PhD program. You'll have to do the independent learning on top of that in either case. Um, 
Also, target experience. Uh, similarly, at a health nonprofit, you might be able to pick up some good habits, but often your role will be very specific. If you're working for a large, even a well-run health organization, often you'll be uh, kind of running one very small component of it, whether that's a comms job or a research role, and that will give you some skills in that area. But as a charity entrepreneur, you really will need to learn a little bit how to do everything. Some people might come into charity entrepreneurship with five out of 100 skills that they need, and other people might come in with nine out of 100 skills that they need. Either way, you still need to be able to develop 91 skills. A lot of it comes down to being able to learn things on the fly, try things out, pivot and update based off evidence, talk to mentors and utilize their skills. That sort of thing is going to be far more important than coming in with a few extra skills. Next thing is connections in the field. Connections in the field are super important, and you do need it to have a successful charity. But you'd be amazed how willing these people are to talk to you. If you come in informed and keen and with some expertise or some funding, uh, a lot of these organizations are extremely excited to talk to a young person who's getting involved or an experienced person getting involved. They want to see other charities. They care about this stuff a lot. And they're not getting 1,000 emails a day if they're running some small program out of India. Um, in general, it's uh, very, very easy to kind of build the network. And that is how you build the network, by working in the field. Uh, it's helpful to kind of reach out to these people and, and have a quick Skype with them. Tell them what you're doing. Tell them what you're considering. Ask them for advice. Everyone's been very happy to help when we've done this on multiple different projects across multiple different cause areas. Uh, the one exception to this is government connections. Uh, it's hard to build government connections. They're not willing to talk to you. Uh, if you're doing a job where you need government connections, uh, hire someone who has the government connections. That's the advice there. So a little bit about further testing. Uh, the best way to test if you're a great fit for charity entrepreneurship, you know, kind of in the way I'm talking about it, uh, might be applying for an incubation program. I'll talk a little bit more about what that kind of offers and why you might consider it. But we do have a process that we've used before on entrepreneurs that has been fairly successful at selecting the kind of people who might start a Givel incubated charity. Uh, we have a quiz on our website. It's a lot less intensive than doing the full incubation program process. It's pretty quick. It's about three minutes. Um, and it will give you a bit of a sense from a personality perspective if you might be a decent fit or not for charity entrepreneurship. Um, and finally, generally our website, we're trying to put out as much information as possible so people can self-select. People can consider whether they're going to be a good fit for charity entrepreneurship or not. Our mail list, we send out kind of all of our relevant research, as well as like helpful things like Facebook group links to, to ways that you can ask people questions and, and all that sort of thing. So that also can help to give you a sense slowly of whether this might be a good fit as a career path or a bad fit. Um, in general, though, don't be too discouraged. A lot of the strongest charity entrepreneurs I've talked to are scared. They're nervous. They're not the kind of archetype of a, of a go gung-ho, confident entrepreneur. Uh, some of them are cautious. Some of them are detail-oriented. Some of them are not uh, kind of gregarious. Uh, don't let kind of those superficial uh, entrepreneurship-associated traits uh, fool you. Uh, instead, try to get as good a sense as you can from you know, external people who have looked at it before or by talking at it or by kind of reading the content on that from people who have started successful charities. Um, so now I want to talk a little bit about how charity entrepreneurship as an organization uh, is kind of aiming to help charity founders. The first thing is with research. Uh, coming up with a really fantastic idea to run a charity on is hard especially if you're trying to become a top GiveWell charity or a top animal charity evaluator's charity. Uh, this is not uh, an easy bar to beat. Thankfully, uh, we've been able to do a lot of research to kind of narrow down the space a little bit into some ideas that are extremely promising. This is a spreadsheet we did on different global health ideas, narrowing down to what ideas might feasibly uh, be competitive with the top GiveWell charities, might be evidence-based and cost-effective enough to do a really good thing. Um, here's some of them. Uh, tobacco taxation looks fantastically cost-effective if you can get the right country. 
Uh, conditional cash transfers has a case for very strong impact and is being done almost nowhere by NGOs. Um, and this year, we're going to be focusing on animal interventions and researching that and coming to kind of the highest possible impact uh, interventions that one could start in the field. We're doing research a bit different than, say, give well or animal charity evaluators. We're looking for gaps, areas that could be really promising, could be really effective, but don't have anyone working in them necessarily. Uh, malaria is a fantastic place to work, but AMF is doing a really good job. I wouldn't want someone to start another bed net charity. But there are areas that are both fantastically high impact and neglected, uh, as in no one's working in it in the kind of way that we as effective altruists or, or we as people who want to help the world would, would like to see it done. Um, so the incubation program that we're running is taking place from kind of June 15th to August 15th, and we'll be hoping to run it every year. And we really want to make kind of the, the, uh, the process of founding a charity as easy as possible. So we're kind of giving structured support that slowly withdraws until people are fully independent, standing on their own two feet. The, the first month will be something akin to a university class. You know, there'll be activities. They'll be pairing with different co-founders to test out your, your abilities in different ways. There'll be explicit teaching about cost effectiveness or fundraising plans, all the kind of hard skills that you might need to run a really good charity. The second month, you'll be paired with co-founders on an idea and start working on the project, but with a lot of support from teams of people who have already successfully founded a charity. And finally, over the next six months, you'll be given a seed grant uh, to financially support yourself so that you can kind of really become a true domain expert before seeking external funding. Seed grants are about $50,000, depending on how many charities apply. Um, this sort of structure allows someone who maybe doesn't have a ton of experience in working for NGOs or, or nonprofits uh, but is able to kind of build the experience as they go and get really competent and capable to start a high-impact charity. Um, we really don't want it to just end after the seed grant ends. We want to continue to support the charities really as long as they need it. We're trying to build a community such that people can continue to stay connected, whether that's over Skype or Facebook or a co-working office that we're going to have. Um, we want to have joint office space so that people can feel like they're working with a team instead of working alone or, or with their co-founder. Um, the seed grants I already mentioned. We'll also connect people with long-term funders. We don't want to see these charities just run for six months and then flounder. Uh, most of the connections will be people who are very keen on founding new charities. Um, and ongoing mentorship. So I still continue to Skype with the projects that we've helped and kind of help them with the most difficult issues so they can have an external set of eyes for as long as, as they need it. Um, this is a quote from Fortify Health, and I think it's a, a really important one because it shows that not everyone knows that they're going to be a perfect fit for this. Uh, you know, some people think it might be too hard or, or impossible, but a lot of people uh, can do it, and you can kind of rely on the, uh, the process to kind of figure out if you're a fantastic fit. Uh, just to kind of reiterate on the goal, there are fantastic charities in the world, uh, but there's not enough of them. We need more really, really good charities, more humane leagues, more against malaria foundations, charities that make a massive difference at cost-effectiveness you know, far greater than a standard charity. Uh, there's still gaps and room to do it. The main thing missing is entrepreneurs, people who will be able to kind of step forward and take on this risk and potentially start an incredibly successful charity. Uh, this is our website. Uh, you've probably talked to me or Carolina around the conference. We're here for the rest of the night. Uh, and I think we have a few time, for, a bit of time for question and answer, um, if we do in fact have time for that. Uh, our office hours are already passed, so you can't come to that. Um, but we will be kind of outside the door after the group photo and that sort of thing. For anyone who has questions, I'm happy to answer that. Uh, or you can email me there, and I'm happy to answer questions over that as well. Thank you.
Awesome talk. Thank you very much. We have time. Really, we're over time already, but let's do two quick questions that already came in, uh, which I thought were both quite good. Uh, what is your take on the importance of working in an effective organization, which may or may not even be a charity, uh, but earlier one of our speakers, um, Dr. Gladister, had said that she really advises young people to make sure that they spend some time in an effective organization so they know what an effective organization looks like. What do you think about that? Yeah, it helps a lot. When people ask me specifically what's the kind of thing I could do to prep if I have two years till the end of my degree or some time for an internship or something like that, I always say prioritize how good the organization is. It's, it doesn't have to necessarily be in a tightly related area, but if you uh, work for a charity like AMF or, or pick up some of their management practices, uh, that's gonna be one of the best things you can do to kind of set yourself up to run a charity really well. Okay, uh, last second and last question, uh, since we are out of time. You spoke to it a little bit when you mentioned you wouldn't want somebody to start another Bednet charity, makes sense. Um, but so one person in the audience is asking, in general, it seems like the charity space has kind of a proliferation problem and there's lots of kind of small charities often kind of nipping at different corners or even the same you know, portions of the, the bigger problems. Um, so what's your take on that and, and how do you think about people joining versus starting given that reality? Yeah, so we're pretty pro starting versus joining. Uh, joining organizations, whether they're small or big, I mean, it's incredibly hard to change them in an effective direction. You can ask a lot of people who have kind of worked for these organizations to, to get a sense of that. Um, and there are lots of charities, but they're incredibly small. Uh, you know, the, you'll see a statistic like there's a million charities, but almost all of them have an operating budget of under $50,000 or something like that. So it's not like they're taking out kind of huge chunks of this problem. What we really have to look at is what's the scale of the remaining problem, and could I start a charity that, that seriously addresses that and seriously starts to cover some of that problem? Awesome. Well, we are out of time, but Joey Savoy, thank you very much. Talk to this guy about starting a charity.